Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 20th of June 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by Katie Jo Murfin and David Scott bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border. Uh, we'll get straight on then with, uh, well, with cost of living and uh, the summer of discontent. And uh, well, we've got demands for better. Enough is enough. Uh, the unions are all out. So this is the RMT. Uh, and uh, of course, they're demanding uh, lots of money because of the uh, rate of inflation and the uh, cost of living crisis. Um, the question is, are they going to get it? Uh, but uh, so we've got railway strikes going on this week. Uh, we've got Royal Mail workers uh, voting on strike action, uh, which, uh, according to this headline, is going to cripple post and parcel deliveries. Uh, and then we've also got uh, teachers and also National Health Service workers uh, warning of strike, strike action unless the government improves pay offers. Um, so, well, th that perhaps is understandable. Uh, less understandable for me, anyway, uh, is GPs. And this is from a week or so ago, but I just thought I'd bring it in again at this point. Uh, GPs threatening to strike over a contract which would force them to uh, extend their opening hours for face-to-face -face consultations. Uh, and bearing in mind, Brian, um, how hard it is to get a uh, a, uh, an appointment with a GP at the moment. Uh, I think this is uh, pretty obscene, this particular excuse for strike. It is, uh, Mike, but I look at the whole deck of cards here that suddenly in a very critical time, as we're going to be discussing in a minute, with the war in Ukraine, the drums of war beginning to beat, all of a sudden we have this breakdown in UK. And I'm going to say straight off, I think this is organised chaos, but we'll leave that debate for another time. Well, I don't think we should. We should talk about it now because let's bring the RMT uh, union on. Uh, defend real jobs, pay and conditions is what they claim. This is their statement from uh, uh, the 18th, which is Saturday. Uh, and it, David, it was this that really grabbed me about the, what their position. Uh, it has to be restated. They said that the source of these disputes is the decision by the Tory government to cut four billion pounds of funding from our transport systems two billion pounds from National Rail and two billion pounds from Transport for London. And the issue that I have with this uh, is that if we look at what the unions are doing at the moment, they are demanding uh, pay rises, fair enough. They're uh, encouraging strikes because the pay rises aren't coming, but they're effectively lying uh, to their members about the reasons for the cost of living crisis. Uh, and uh, therefore, um, it is not possible for people to make an informed decision about whether strike action is the appropriate course of action or not. Uh, and therefore, they're part of the problem, in my opinion. Aren't they always, Mike? Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the doctors in Scotland went on strike some years ago. I remember the picket line. Uh, they were all standing there, um, consultants on 125,000, waving red flags and saying, that uh, they needed uh, to be standing with the workers not crossing the picket line because they wanted better pensions uh, because, you know, a huge pension that they had wasn't, uh, wasn't enough. And uh, there was a distinct sense of lack of solidarity and a distinct sense of embarrassment. And the, the, the um, picketed one day never came back. Uh, there's a point at which the, the narrative just won't, uh, just won't run. Um, and I think we're reaching that point in a few of those cases. Uh, yes, but uh, we want to see uh, some honesty about what's going on from the unions and maybe the right target, therefore, would be uh, on the receiving end of whatever political campaigning needs to happen. But uh, in the meantime, then, energy, and uh, this is Ofgem. Uh, they have announced tough new 
financial measures to ensure energy suppliers can withstand future shocks is what they claim. Let's look at what they're going to do about this. They're going to improve the financial health of suppliers to ensure they can weather current challenges and uh, reduce the risk of failures. Not sure how they're going to do that. Uh, they're going to protect consumer credit balances and, with, and green levies with when suppliers fail uh, to prevent the costs being picked up by consumers. Uh, they're going to uh, issue requirements for suppliers to better control over key assets and a tightening of the rules uh, on the level of direct debit suppliers can ch charge customers. And that's really the key one because, of course, uh, as many people have pointed out, uh, the energy companies effectively using their customers like an interest-free loan by overcharging on a monthly direct debit uh, and people ending up with huge credit balances uh, with, the, uh, with the energy supplier. Uh, but moving quickly on, uh, the issue with children. This is uh, London, London's child poverty charity, um, Childhood Trust. Uh, and they are saying that they've found that families are under increased financial pressure due to the rise of inflation and ongoing living costs. As a result, these are having a profound impact on children's mental health. Um, so let's look what the chief executive said. Uh, a lot of kids are finding themselves in this appalling situation for the first time. They're deeply, deeply ashamed and embarrassed and worried about their predicament. Uh, two or three kids in a class of 30 are self-harming because they're so anxious about their living situation, uh, about whether their parents can pay the bills or whether they are going to be able to have a shower that night. Uh, one little boy told me he can only shower once a week. Uh, and his mum stands by the side of the shower to make sure it isn't a long one either. Uh, and it seems to me that, uh, well, that's surely a parental issue if uh, parents are not uh, offering some kind of support to their kids or some, some kind of uh, separation of these issues from their children. Then uh, if their children are suffering, that's their responsibility, right? Well, I think there's some, some of that, Mike, but we're, we're definitely hearing from uh psychiatric uh, clinical psychologists that there is a huge pressure on people at the moment as a result of the economic crisis of course the economic crisis is not what the government keeps telling us uh, and then just to finally to quick look at whether we are going to uh, uh, do a better job in or to experience a better situation in the coming days and weeks let's just have a quick look at uh, european gas prices uh, this is Sputnik here reporting that European gas prices have jumped 25% to $1,300 uh, PTCM one day amid dropping Nord Stream supply. And this again comes back to the issue of the unions not quite telling the truth. Uh, because what's going on here? Well, the, the political leaders are telling everybody, of course, this is because Russia is being very naughty and switching off uh, the gas supply. But the truth is that, in fact, uh, some of the pumps required to pump gas through Nord Stream 1 had been sent for maintenance uh, and the Canadian that they went to Canada for maintenance the Canadians are holding on to those pumps because of sanctions not sending them back and therefore the Nord Stream 1 pipeline is has got a shortage of pumps uh, to pump the gas and so they've been forced to turn the gas pressure down and therefore supply less gas as a result um, so once again sanctions a very key part of the economic hardship that we are all uh, facing at the moment. But I understand on this one, Mike, that the Germans have been particularly unhappy and are seeking some form of dialogue with Canada. So this is an interesting dynamic fractures in the uh, in the Western economic community. Yes. OK, well, let's move on to uh, war with Russia, perhaps. And uh, well, Boris decided he would publish an article in The Times. So we were talking about Liz Truss last week, feeling that in her with her uh, presentation to Parliament being quite downcast on this. Boris is trying to get everybody g'd up again 
uh, to, we'll never be secure if we turn our backs on valiant Ukraine. We need to keep pumping those weapons in. We need to keep supporting them and so on. And this uh, sentiment was echoed by the new uh, chief of the general staff, the head of the British Army. Uh, and uh, well, he last week uh, was his first day in office. So there he is on the right hand side there. Uh, the first day in office for the new chief of the general staff, including important discussion with Army Sergeant Major on the British Army's future, future and how we will continue to serve our soldiers and civil servants. So this is uh, Sir Patrick uh, Sanders, and uh, he is uh, well. He began his service as an infantry officer in the Royal Green Jackets, uh, and uh, ended up in higher command with 20 Armoured Brigade, the Third UK Division, and the Field Army. And he was promoted to general in 2019. Uh, commanded UK Strategic Command until May 2022, and he became Chief of the General Staff last week. So this is. His position on it, uh, I'm the first chief of staff of the general staff since 1941, he said, to take command of the army in the shadow of a land war in Europe involving a major continental power. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine underlines our core purpose to protect the UK and be ready to fight and win wars on land and uh, reinforces the requirement to deter Russian aggression uh, and the threat with the threat of force. Uh, the world has changed since the 24th of February and there is now a burning imperative to for forge an army capable of fighting alongside our allies and defeating Russia in battle. Uh, and he went on to say, my goal is to accelerate the mobilization and modernization of the army to reinforce NATO and deny Russia the chance to occupy any more of Europe. Uh, we are the generation that must prepare to fight, uh, to prepare the army to fight in Europe once again. So we're going to prepare the army to fight in Europe once again by what cutting? Personnel, we may come on to that in a second. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Russia has uh, combined military and non-military means to alter the map, uh, attempting to change the balance of power and undermining the cohesion of our societies through disinformation. That was actually, that last statement there was actually him speaking about a year ago, uh, while he was still commander, uh, strategic command. So he has uh, very much had the idea of Russian uh, Russia as the big enemy in his mind for quite some time. But just to get on to the issue of how he intends to modernize the army, uh, he said uh, back in 2020, the Strategic Command will transition the Industrial Age Joint Force uh, to the Information Ages Integrated Force. And this is uh, uh, pushing forward this narrative uh, that the British Army has been pushing for a few years now, that uh, really the old uh, metal tanks need to be sunsetted uh, in favor of things like uh, uh, you know, cyber space, these types of things. Uh, and this, what he's talking about with integrated, of course, is the integrated operating concept, uh, which is offensive rather than defensive. Uh, David. I, I like the comment there, forge an army. Forge, that's an interesting word because it, it means, well, for a start, make essentially from raw materials. So are we admitting we don't really have an army? Uh, also, make or shape an object by heating in a fire or furnace or hammering it. Does that imply that the British Army is going to be forged in combat? Uh, yeah, it, well, it, it's, it's not going to be forged in steel because we barely can make any. Yes, indeed. Uh, and then just to finish this segment, uh, we've got Prime Minister Rutte in uh, the Netherlands. And of course, nobody will be able to read that. So let's do a quick translation. Uh, war in Ukraine is also our war. We have to agree on that, he said. Uh, so this is again echoing Boris's sentiments and also uh, the chief of the, of the general staff there. The war there is ours, he said. Let's agree on that. It's not formal that we're at war with Rus Russia. We're not. Uh, but it's practically our war too. Uh, and he means by that in, in a practical sense. 
Uh, Ukraine must win, and that's really important. In any case, we must ensure that we do everything we can to bring them closer to victory. Uh, if it goes wrong and we allow Putin to occupy Ukraine, what's next? In fact, this is a direct threat to our security. Uh, we must be prepared to bear the consequences. Well, that'll be interesting to watch then as those Dutch troops pour into Ukraine. Yes, won't it? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, let's follow on uh, from that with the BBC. And of course, the BBC is simply what Zelensky says, as we've said on UK Column News many times before. So here's the headline. Ukraine warns of war. Kiev warns of Russian escalation during EU bid. Now, this is very carefully crafted stuff here. So the president, uh, Zelensky, has warned Russia will intensify its attacks on his country in the coming days as Kiev awaits news on its bid to join the EU. So this is trying to manipulate things to have us believe that because there's now the movement to join the EU, the Russians are upping the tempo. Uh, this is complete manipulation of the facts around the war because Russia's ramped up the tempo uh, because it's taking the key areas of Severodonets and is going to move on to Lizzie Chance. And then it is through the outer defences of Ukraine, plus the Western munitions and ammunition keep pouring into Ukraine. So what's the truth of it? Well, let's go to the Guardian headline here, Russia-Ukraine war, what we know on day 115 of the invasion. And if we look at the subheadline here, Putin says he's nothing against Ukraine membership of the EU. So if we take those words and think about it, and Putin has said this on many occasions, it can't possibly be true that the war's being ramped up in order to stop Ukraine joining the EU. And in any case, that is not likely to happen anytime soon. Let's have a look at um, UK's finest uh, military personnel. Uh, David will enjoy this. This is Admiral Radikin uh, talking about the situation in Ukraine. This is a dreadful mistake by Russia. Uh, Russia will never take control of Ukraine. Russia has strategically lost already. NATO is stronger. Finland and Sweden are looking to join. Um, if you look at the Ukrainian people, They've already defeated the original Russian plans, which were to take the cities inside 30 days and in about six weeks take most of the country. That's all stopped and Russia's had to change its objectives and it's focusing on the east. So if you come down a couple of levels, there's a tactical battle going on in the east of Ukraine and that's tough. The, the Russian machine is grinding away and it's gaining a couple or two, three, five kilometers every day. And, and that's tough for Ukraine, but this is going to be a long fight and we're supporting Ukraine. Ukraine has shown how courageous it really is. And Russia has vulnerabilities because it's running out of people. It's running out of high-tech missiles. And if you just look at where Russia is at the moment, it's, it's lost about 25% of its combat land effectiveness. Well, my comment to that has got to be sheer madness. That uh, gentleman is not fit for purpose because what is he saying? He had access to the Russian plans, which said they were going to conquer a country the size of Ukraine in six weeks. Mm. This is fantasy land. And I'm going to suggest that Radikin knows this, but this is part of the uh, West propaganda machine here. 
and Russia running out. That's not what the situation on the battlefield is showing. And that's, of course, why we're not seeing reports about war on the ground in Ukraine, because it's bad news for Ukraine all the way. So what's Boris been up to? Well, touching uh, Zelensky uh, with a friendly pat on the shoulder, uh, we're not going to put in more weapons, it seems. That's mainly because the West has virtually run out of weapons to give the Ukrainians. No, what we're going to do is we're going to put in trainers. We're going to train up to 10,000 Ukrainian soldiers every 120 days. But if we look at uh, a little bit of history, Britain started training the Ukrainian military in Operation Orbital in 2015. At present, Ukraine is losing roughly 1,000 men per day. That's about 200 killed and 800 injured. So in a lot less than 120 days, the British military training is going to be meaningless. This is a SOP, Mike, in order to cover up for the fact that, of course, on the ground, Russia is winning and the West doesn't like it. But if we want to really understand what's in the Russian mind, let's look at this BBC interview clip. Many people will have seen this, but we're watching out for what Lavrov says uh, when it's discussed what Boris and Liz Trust really want to do with Russia. Let's hear this clip. Способа объяснить Западу, что он занимается преступной деятельностью, втягивая Украину в НАТО. Послушайте, что говорит э, Верховный комиссар ООН по правам человека. Она недавно, ну, в мае выступала, да? Она сказала, в селе Ягодной Черниговской 28 дней удерживали 360 человек, в том числе 74 ребенка и 5 людей с инвалидностью в подвале школы, без туалета, без воды. Здесь пожилых людей умерли. Это борьба с нацизмом? Знаете, к сожалению, к сожалению, и международные чиновники, включая Верховного комиссара по правам человека, включая, к огромному моему сожалению, генерального секретаря ООН и многих других представителей Организации Объединенных Наций, подвержены давлению Запада. И очень часто выступают рупором тех, фейковых новостей, которые распространяет Запад. То есть, получается, мы... опять Россия белый пушистая, да? То есть... Нет, Россия не белая, не пушистая. Россия такая, какая она есть. И мы не стыдимся показывать себя такими, какими мы есть. По поводу британцев, которые недавно были приговорены к смертной казни, поэтому в глазах Запада Россия несет ответственность за судьбу этих людей. Вы не считаете, что Нет, этот слушайте, смертный слушайте, приговор... Меня глаза Запада не интересуют вообще. Меня интересует только международное право. По международному праву наемники не являются комбатантами. Поэтому что у вас в глазах, откровенно говоря, не имеет значения. Они не наемники, они служили в, в украинских вооруженных Это силах. Это должен определить суд. А вы считаете, что там независимый суд? Да. Я убежден, что там независимый суд. А вы считаете, у вас независимый суд? А вообще по поводу отношений с Великобританией сейчас, да? Они, ну, сказать, что они плохие, это, конечно, мягко сказано. Да, да? вы знаете, по-моему, там уже нет никакого поля для маневра в этих отношениях. А как вы... Потому что и Джонсон, и Трасс заявляют публично, мы должны победить Россию, мы должны поставить Россию на колени. Ну, давайте, ставьте. А как вы видите Великобританию сейчас? Как Москва видит? Ну, страна, которая пытается в очередной раз принести в жертву свои корен... интересы своего народа, 
амбициям политиков, которые думают только о следующих выборах и больше ни о чем. Well, I wonder how many people in the uh, UK could disagree with what Lavrov said there, but as he has he described the fact that the intention is to try and destroy Russia, to which he says, go on, then do it. He talks about, uh, of course, the problems in UK's court systems as rotten as anywhere in the world. And uh, at the end of the day, he says, I don't worry about the West's eyes. David, very quickly, because we've got a lot to get through in this segment. Uh, he's always incredibly measured and to end by saying all your politicians care about is the next election, of course, is absolutely true. Yes, that's true. And a great deal of what he says is true. Um, the things he doesn't say, he doesn't talk about how the war is going to end. He doesn't, he doesn't give any indication as to what, a, what a, a, an acceptable position to stop the bloodshed would be. And that's, that's a significant omission. Uh, and I think that Radican's statement, although very much overblown, has an element of truth that the initial Russian approach expected a quite rapid Ukrainian um, collapse, which didn't happen, but that what's going on now is a, is a meat grinder and uh, there's only going to be one, one victor. And the Western countries who are encouraging this to go on do not have Ukraine's best interests at heart. Um, it would be nice to see somebody somewhere actually talking about peace. Uh, it would, but that uh, seems unlikely to come from the West at the moment, uh, David. Well, just very quickly, somebody sent us an email talking about weapons systems being used uh, in Ukraine over social media. You can, in fact, see a lot of the war, some of it very, very disturbing. Uh, this was a clip apparently taken from the Duran, which is showing uh, Russian high-tech strike on what was claimed to be an ammunition dump. But uh, we'll have a little bit of debate about this. But what we're really illustrating here at the moment is to say that Russian is, Russia is a spent force in Ukraine is, is, seems to me to be unbelievably naive and incorrect. Let's just watch this clip. I'll just say apologies for the uh, bad language in that clip, but we left it in because it does show the astonishment of people on the ground. Whatever that was, was uh, a substantial hit, Mike. Mm. But uh, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of blast with it. So I'm going to question whether it was an ammunition dump, but as an illustration of how vicious the war is, I think it stands. But this is where we really get on to what the uh, Russians are capable of because they've released recently very detailed data on mercenaries operating in Ukraine. Uh, it's um, giving the numbers, the country, the numbers when they arrived, how many have been eliminated, how many have departed. And ultimately, they're giving the totals. And we can see, for example, in Ireland, uh, 71 came in, 23 have been eliminated, 14 have departed, uh, uh, leaving 34. Um, very detailed all the way through. They then move from uh, European countries onto what they call America, but it includes Canada, USA. And uh, the key point that's being made here 
is that if you look at the totals down at the bottom, this is nowhere the divisions that uh, were proudly boasted, divisions of uh, foreign mercenaries coming in to fight. There's been a smattering over a great many nations. And of course, you can see that a great many of those uh, individuals are now dead. But uh, what does the West want to do? Well, the propaganda goes on. So here's foreign affairs. What if Ukraine wins? What if Russia loses? So uh, no ifs or buts as uh, what they're trying to do there. And David, you were quite keen that we just mentioned uh, the British Defence Intelligence update, which is more, I'm going to call it childish, uh, reporting on what's actually happened. Uh, the ground and tactical air operations have remained focused on the central Donbass sector over the weekend. There's no detail as to why that's the case, but of course this is, this is a main urban area and it's a very important economic area. And it's also where Ukrainian forces have been strongly defending. Uh, but the rest of the report here is to denigrate the uh, Russian forces as if they're incompetent and failing. And I will say to our audience, just wait till we get on to a little bit of a report on UK. Uh, here's the rainbow colors for the rest of the report. And uh, this is more of the same. Russia's air force has underperformed. It's failed to consistently deliver air power. Uh, of course, uh, the Russians are not fighting Ukraine. They're fighting Ukraine and NATO, and that includes the air weapons. So it's not surprising Russia's changed their style. People can freeze the screen here, but this is your point, Mike, because we've only got to go back a few months uh, when it was being reported that at a serious time in world affairs with wars on the horizon, what's UK doing cutting its armed forces, uh, the army to be cut by another 10,000 troops. Uh, but Boris is apparently tooling up for war there. And uh, we, should, uh, we should be happy that we've got a government driving us into war but cutting troops. Have we got the right MPs for the job? Well, let's have a little listen to Ben Wallace talking about defence cuts back in March. I'm not going to uh, get into the speculation. We had in November a speculative story, I remember, in the BBC about cutting the army to 65,000. I've, I've seen lots of numbers used. I think the assurance I can give the viewers is that you know, what I will be doing is making sure we have an armed forces that's the right size to meet the threat and the right size to meet the government's ambition uh, of having a global Britain that can uphold values and support its allies. And if I may, Prime Minister, a quick question. I just left the clip with Boris coming at the end there so that we could see the two of them together. But did you understand what Ben Wallace had to say, Mike? I don't know where that he had anything to say. No, there, absolute newspeak where he said nothing. But this is the reality. This is a graphic from the Mail, the, from the Daily Mail, where we can see that Britain really no longer has a viable army. So what are they talking about taking on the world? And this is more of the disaster for Britain's armed forces at the moment. Uh, Guardian reporting paratroopers banned from NATO deployment after Essex orgy. Uh, Colchester Barracks incident came after other cases and could be seen to denigrate women, said head of the army. Well, this is nothing to do with denigrating women in the first instance. This is about complete breakdown of military discipline and morale. And oh dear, who's the man commenting? The man who wants to ramp up a war with uh, Russia. My message to the army is clear. Our license to operate is founded on trust and confidence 
and we must hold ourselves to the highest standards. Such behavior is unacceptable, corrosive, and detrimental to the army's reputation. Recent events indicate that the three power is not demonstrating the levels of discipline and respect for others expected of one of our battalions. And uh, I'm not prepared to risk the NATO mission or the reputation of the British Army by deploying three power at this time. So we can't even get the troops over the seas because we've got a complete breakdown of discipline. Um, it is. Uh, so Sir Patrick Saunders just taken up the job and he's having to make a statement about this. If you remember when Mark Holland Smith took up the job uh, and uh, a British Army uh, section was uh, shooting an effigy of, uh, of uh, um, the former Labour leader. Uh, yes. Uh, and he had to make a similar statement. Uh, the styles Indeed. are somewhat different, though. Well, yeah, but the, the message is clear. What we're witnessing is breakdown inside the armed forces. If you look at the priority of the armed forces, it's been the gay agenda for a very long time. And now now the, uh, uh, what's the expression? It's coming home to roost is what I'm trying to say. David. I just want to give you a quick translation of Ben Wallace's wonderful speech there. That was management speak. Um, what that was is we're not going to downsize we're going to right size. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Well, not surprisingly, the uh, Russians picked up on, over this report and reported quite accurately on it. But uh, this isn't the only example we've got because this was one that was sent to me a couple of days ago. And I find this astonishing. So it is the mail here reporting Navy officers affair on nuclear submarines put national security at risk. Uh, two Royal Navy officers, male, female, uh, Lieutenant Sophie Brooke, 30, Lieutenant Commander Nicholas Stone, 37, put the secrecy of UK's Trident nuclear deterrent at risk by sharing information on classified submarine movements, which could have been intercepted, I would say, almost certainly was intercepted. And this is the meat of it. And I just find this astonishing. The emails that were sent was said to include the location of the submarine in the coming days, the direction of travel, speed, diving depth, and confirmation of the sailing time. And why has this come about? Because essentially we've got a breakdown of discipline due to the love affair going on here. Uh, David, I'm watching your face and you're reacting to this one, uh, but we have these senior officers standing up preaching about the defense of the country they can't run the military in this country. It's, it is incredible what we're witnessing in the UK today. Yeah, but they can criticize the Russians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it really is, it's, it's just astonishing. Um, the attack on the military has been from many directions, a lot of it from parliament, but a lot of it from, a lot of it from inside and from their own leadership. Yeah, and probably something I also find uh, incredible with that uh, last example is that they both received suspended sentences, suspended prison sentences, uh, and uh, there, were, there were fines and what appears to be some form of community service. I would be asking whether either of those individuals could ever be trusted again, uh, because this sort of information for nuclear submarines is death to everybody on board. That's, that's how serious it is. Yes, okay. Uh, okay, let's move on. Um, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org, become a member and help us out that way, or you could pick something up from the UK Column shop. 
Uh, but in any, any case, do please share any material you find on the various platforms. Okay, well, where are we moving here? Canada, I think. Canada, Kitty Joe, welcome to the program. Uh, we haven't heard about Canada for a number of uh, weeks now. Let's uh, let's get an update. No, I thought I should do an update. It feels like ages ago that Canada, and I do have a relative out there, and he does keep me up to date with what's going on. Um, so it was about four months ago now that the Freedom Convoy descended on Ottawa in protest against the vaccine mandates. And anyone supporting them, especially through donations, found out very quickly that supporting them could leave you with frozen bank accounts and could destroy your livelihood. And four months on, not much has changed, really. Um, so a popular ice cream uh, destination in Newmarket, Ontario, has asked an employee to remove offensive flags after complaints surfaced on social media. So late on the 6th of June, customers on Twitter started demolishing Kawartha Dairy after seeing a photograph allegedly, allegedly of an employee's vehicle decorated in flags that supported the so-called Freedom Convoy. The tweet with the photograph has been deleted since. Um, however, Kawartha Dairy confirmed that an employee was asked to remove offensive flags following complaints. We understand the flags on one of our employees' vehicles, personal vehicles, were offensive. Although there was no profanity on the flags, we have spoken to the employee who has removed the flags from their vehicle. Kawartha Dairy does not support and is in no way affiliated with the fringe movement. While some people on social media said the flags contained profanity, specifically in relation to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the company alleged, alleged that they did not. It is our understanding that we have confirmed that the flags were we, the fringe flags, not F. Trudeau flags. But this explanation did not seem to quell any frustration amid some customers who argued Canadians should boycott the company. So one such tweet read, we buy Kawartha Dairy ice cream almost exclusively. If nothing is done about this, we won't be uh, anymore. And another tweet, uh, boycotting Kawartha Dairy for their support of an undemocratic stance and completely a complete vulgarity. Hag hashtag stand with Trudeau. I mean, it's completely ludicrous to think that an employee can't fly a flag on their own personal vehicle in support of the Freedom Convoy and that there are any citizens at all that are supporting Trudeau um, and he's, um, you know, unleashing of the Emergencies Act on peaceful protesters. Um, so where are we at with this completely unlawful act from the government? Uh, well, there's an inquiry into the behaviour of the Liberal leader and his decision to invoke the Emergencies Act. And it's actually not looking good for Trudeau. So uh, things are looking rough for the Prime Minister, it says in the uh, Toronto Sun in an article by Anthony Fury at the beginning of the month. When it comes to uh, the Emergencies Act um, inquiry and how it might unfold. In the past month or so, um, it has brought out a number of clarifications about what exactly transpired during this winter's Freedom Convoy and what went on behind the scenes before and during the controversial invoking of the Act. And many of them expose how a lot of what the federal Liberal government was leading people to believe was just outright falsehoods. The Liberals insisted that they only brought in the Act after police requested it. Um, he says, my colleague Lorna Gunter found at least six examples of Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicio making this claim. However, at committee, the heads of both the Ottawa Police and RCMP said they never made such a request. 
Then there's just the Justice Minister David Lemetti's claim that malicious foreigners were funding the convoy. But testimony revealed that no level of law enforcement ever told them this. Finance Canada even testified that the convoy was mostly supported by small donations from thousands of average Canadians. There are also more inflammatory rumours that federal politicians were happy to amplify, like claims that uh, convoy participants tried to burn down a residential building. The, uh, these have been mostly debunked now. And the best bit is that these revelations have come to light before the inquiry has even started. And already the Liberal government's excuses are crumbling. The article continues. That's quite something, because this first committee is arguably the one rigged in Trudeau's favour. During some meetings, Liberal MPs on the committee have interjected to try and stop tough questions from being asked and have lobbed softball questions to testify, testifying cabinet ministers. These partisan stunts will be much harder to pull off under Justin Paul Rulu, uh, the inquiry's commissioner. So Trudeau has already attempted to politically interfere in the inquiry by trying to frame the terms of reference saying the purpose of inquiry is to probe things like funding uh, and supposed disinformation. The Liberals refuse to acknowledge that at large part, arguably the main part, is to probe their very decision to invoke the Act. This is my favourite bit. Things are looking so rough right now that if, there was a, if this was a court case, Trudeau's defence lawyer would be pushing for his client to seek a plea deal rather than risk the potential colossal humiliation of going to trial. Trudeau isn't coming out of this looking any better than the authoritarian dictator that he is. Uh, and what are the repercussions of his behavior going to look like? Will there even be any? I mean, let's face it, most of those in power actually do whatever they want and get away with it. Or will he? Will he get away with it? I mean, will this be the straw that stroke, uh, broke the camel's back? Um, will Trudeau be brought to justice if the Conservatives have anything to do with it, he will. Um, uh, today, it's um, hard to believe what it's, what it's like to be a prisoner in your own country. Um, we've been really, really lucky here in the UK. But in Canada, up until today, 20th of June, you haven't actually been able to travel as an unvaccinated person by plane or by train within the county's borders. So the government from today is finally lifting the vaccine mandates for passengers traveling within the country. However, you are still unable to travel abroad if you are unvaccinated. And you can see uh, Canister, Canada's Minister of Inter Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominic LeBanc, who told reporters that though some COVID mandates are being suspended, the government would bring them back if the situation deteriorates. Pierre Polievre, on the other hand, is offering Canadians control of their lives back by making Canada the freest country on earth if he becomes prime minister. He said he will do this by making government and all of its most powerful people servants and not masters. He has tabled a bill in the House of Commons that if passed would prohibit the federal government from imposing vaccine mandates on federal workers and the traveling public. He said these mandates have become nothing more than a cruel attempt to demonize a small minority there are absolutely, they are, they are absolutely unnecessary and without any scientific basis. While the text of Pierre's uh, bill explicitly mentions only the COVID-19 vaccine, his social media accounts promoted the legislation as a way to scrap 
all vaccine mandates and ban any future vaccine mandates to give people back their medical freedom. I've got a quick update on Tamara Lynch, the heroine of uh, Canada's heroine. Um, an article in the CBC, David Fraser said, Tamara isn't going back to jail and is now allowed to visit Ottawa. Apparently, a Crown prosecutor argued in court that she had violated her release conditions. At the end of last month, Tamara had a two-day bail review where she sought an amendment to the terms of her release to allow her to use social media and to visit Ontario and Ottawa. Justice Kevin Phillips ruled he would vary Lynch's bail to allow her to come to Ontario, but she is still banned from entering Ottawa's downtown core. The request to be allowed back on social media, however, was rejected. He told the court, Lynch is old enough to have lived in a time without social media and she could use texting to keep in touch with people. During this interview, she said she would love to attend an event in Toronto in June to accept a Freedom Award, but won't be breaching her bail to do so. On the 28th of March, a charity called Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms emailed Lit to notify her she had been selected for its 2022 George Jonas Freedom Award. The email, which she read out loud in, uh, in court, said the honour was given in recognition for your leadership role in the Freedom Convoy. The award announced on the centre's website states, Litch took the initiative to help organisers organise a peaceful protest and serve as one of its leaders. The resulting peaceful protest in Ottawa awakened many Canadians to the justice, injustice of charter violating lockdowns and manda mandatory vaccination policies. It also states she suffered for the cause of freedom by spending 18 days unjustly jailed and exemplifies courage, determination, and perseverance. Litch said she was honored to accept the award. And when she was asked whether accepting the award, she was supporting something related to the convoy, she said, I guess, I guess so. I don't feel this is a breach. I don't feel that this is, that, that that's what uh, the recognition is for. I feel that the recognition is for inspiring Canadians to hold the government to account for the rule of law and to uphold their charter rights. Phillips, luckily, was talking a lot of sense in the review. He told the court he accepted Litch's evidence that there was no connection between the convoy and receiving the award. He agreed that the Freedom Convoy is over and that it would be practically impossible to mount a similar protest in the city. He also said Litch is not responsible for what other people post online, rejecting a Crown submission that she had also violated, violated her social media ban by taking a photo of herself wearing a pendant featuring a truck image and the words freedom and Canada emblazoned on it. So she sent this photo to, back to the person who had given her the, uh, the pendant and they had posted it on social media and that's what they were trying to say that she had breached her, her, right, her, her, her bail rights by doing that. Um, so it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and luckily, um, Phillips has, you know, said that she hasn't done that in any way, shape or form. Um, he also said that she's not responsible for other people's actions and, she's, and she shouldn't be held culpable for her involvement overall with the Freedom Convoy. So good news for Tamara Litch, really. And last but not least, there's a fantastic video by Canadian politician Andrew Shear. Um, he posted it on Twitter recently, pleading Canadians to stand up and let their Member of Parliament know that they are opposed to the government having more power 
to control what Canadians can see and post online. Free speech in Canada, like here, is in grave danger. The Liberals have a piece of legislation that is going to give the government a lot of control over what can be seen and posted online. Bill C-11 will expand the powers of the CRTC. The CRTC and Ottawa decide if something is safe for viewers to watch or not on their TVs, and they want to extend this to the internet. Under the bill, they will be able to make new regulations, and regulations, as we know, don't have to pass through Parliament. And it will give them control over what Canadian, Canadians post and see online and be able to regulate the content. It's going to make a huge impact on free, free speech, obviously just like here under the guise of safety and protection. So the country is in debt by over $1 trillion for the first time in history. And every day that number surges by $400 million. As families struggle to meet their bills, Canadian is now at risk of economic stagnation and high inflation. And Canada does, Canada does not look like the once diverse, vibrant, democratic country it used to be. It's more looking more like an authoritarian state. Yeah, well, very good summary, Katie Joe, and uh, I, I think it's shocking to see the the uh, so-called free Western world is just dissolving in front of our eyes unless we do something about it. Okay, David, let's uh, move on to uh, to Scotland. Yes, from one from one failing totalitarian state to another, when you come to Scotland, um, I, I've got a number of things just to kind of set the scene for what the political world is like north of the border. Uh, firstly, we have an update on the ferries. Um, uh, Scotland's ferries fiasco will cost an eye-watering £1.5 billion to fix over 10 years, as the state-controlled ferry owners admit the Lifeline network has suffered for many years of underinvestment under the SNP. Um, the uh, depth of the bills uh, of the bill required for the Lifeline services confirmed in a document seen by the Herald on Sunday outlined discussions about a new investment in the beleaguered island ferry service at a meeting of the board of the Scottish government's ferry procurement body, the Caledonian Marine Assets Limited, uh, a month after the resignation of the Transport Minister, William Day. So 1.5 billion is what we need for ferries, but it's okay because we have a solution. Um, we have a solution called Blame Shifter Finance. This is a, a, a comment from Scottish uh, political uh, opposition, um, not the official opposition, the unofficial opposition, and it sums it up rather well. Blame Shifter Finance. Maxed out the UK credit card? Overspent by billions on failed vanity projects? Poured good money after bad, but still have nothing to show for it? You need Blame Shifter Finance. Call now, and we'll help you manage the 3.5 billion pound black hole you've created by doling out the cash like there's no tomorrow. We'll consolidate all your failures into one gigantic package of grievance. Always, Mr. You won't have to spend taxpayers' money carefully and understand the need for competitive rates of taxation and business growth. You won't have to embrace sound fiscal management or alleviate the financial burden on struggling working families. We'll simply help you slash support for economic development and education as the economy falls off a cliff. With our unaccountable debt management, you can continue spending 294 million pounds per annum on Angus Air Miles Robertson's constitutional and external budget, including an extra 20 million pounds for a referendum that we all know won't happen. Meanwhile, Blame Shifter Finance's expert staff will carefully help you cut local services to the bone, including policing and the fire service. 
We're with you every step of the way. And we'll keep the nasty Scottish public away from you with our tried and tested debt avoidance slogans. We need more workers. We need more borrowing power. It's all expenses With Blame Shifter Finance on board, you and your family can focus on what really matters. Turning up the volume on the SNP Grievance Machine. Sign up today, and we'll even give you a free flag. So, what are you waiting for? Call Blame Shifter Finance now. Blame Shifter Finance. Blame Shifter Finance is underwritten by Grievance Capital. Blame Shifter Finance is fully committed to welfare dependency in Scotland. Blame Shifter Finance accepts no responsibility for the consequences of its spending and has no intention of paying back the lender. In the event of default, Blame Shifter Finance will simply blame Westminster and pretend that independence will cancel the day. So that's wonderful for Mercurius, sums it up beautifully. That's where we're at. Uh, now, if we move on to uh, the next uh, next item here, this is from the Scotsman. This is absolutely astute from the Scotsman. Beware of insider Scotland and Sturgeon's new model army. They're right. There's something rotten in the state of Scotland. Not just the national stasis caused by the government pretending that next year we're going to strike for freedom from Westminster and vote to leave the UK. No, the strength of corruption that infects Every aspect of Scottish life comes from civil society. Once proudly independent gathering of organisations that campaigned for Scottish Parliament, that stood alongside striking minors and the families that did not shirk, shirk from speaking truth to power. That civil society is no more. Instead, we have a group, uh, instead we have a craven collection of organisations from advocacy groups to cultural institutions, trade unions to churches that pay homage to the court of Butte House and the First Minister's courtiers, in Holyrood, a small but powerful elite that, instead of holding the government to account on behalf of the people, offers lawmakers unconditional support in exchange for an illusion of influence and a three-year grant. Inside of Scotland, Sturgeon's new model army, and it's illustrated there with uh, the Reverend Carden Henry, who's giving her support on behalf of the Church of Scotland to self-identification for people who wish to change genders. Now, this is absolutely spot on. There would have been no named person if a uh, named person scheme to have to fight and, and, and defeat had the civil society in Scotland done its job and used its intelligence and, and asked hard questions of those in power. That sort of craven um, pandering to the state is exactly what's going on all across the charitable sector, the church sector, all sorts of parts of Scottish life. It's appalling to see and it's doing us a great deal of harm. Uh, moving on quickly, uh, just a quick update on the Scottish NHS. Here we have Hamza Yusuf, uh, one, of the, one of the UK comms favourites. He's now uh, in charge of the Scottish NHS. He's, he's uh, health secretary. And uh, someone tweeted at him, Hi Hamza, I've received this appointment letter, note the date. 3rd of July 2024, more than two years from now, and it's a telephone appointment. Is this the best the Scottish NHS can do for patients? Um, and uh, just to illustrate that, we have a little, uh, a little cartoon here. A man sits down with his doctor and the doctor says, what you've got is most unusual. It's called an appointment. <laughs> well, that was very good. And that brings us on to uh, the thing that the, 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 the SNP have been putting all their attention into, which is the independence um, uh, campaign. Now, this is uh, called Building a New Scotland. And this is very interesting because we're not talking about the old Scotland. Everything's going to be new. 
So everything that exists, we don't need to worry about any of the existing problems, because that's the old Scotland. We're just going to ignore that reality, and we're just going to talk about what we imagine the future might hold. Um, we've got, we have here as, uh, the first of, I think, 29 papers that the Scottish government is going to release. They're going to release them about one every two weeks from now until the autumn. Um, this is the same way that uh, the person who forged the Hitler diaries released one every two weeks because that's how long he took to write them. Um, the Scottish government's doing something similar. And the first one is independence in the modern world, wealthier, happier, fairer, why not Scotland? Now, this is a remarkable document is in that it doesn't mention Scotland at all. It just compares the UK to certain other independent countries around Europe of various sizes and um, doesn't mention this position of Scotland within the UK whatsoever. And it's trying to suggest that the UK is badly run, and we would have a certain sympathy for that view, but it ignores the Scottish government's role in this, and it ignores the Scottish government's uh, record, and it doesn't say anything about what they would do to do anything better, other than perhaps um, it does give an indication that high tax and high spending is what they have in mind. Um, it's not gone down terribly well. We have here uh, Brian Monteith and the Scotsman uh, writing, uh, Nicola Sturgeon sets the scene for a poorer, more miserable and divided Scotland. It's been a long time coming, but it's no better for it. It's already cost thousands and will end up costing 20 million, but it's taxpayers' money wasted. It shows the UK data against that of small countries, but Scotland's data is absent, meaning it cannot be compared. If you've not guessed what I'm describing, it's a 72-page document, Wealthier, Happier, Fairer, Why Not Scotland, launched by Nicola Sturgeon last week. Um, meanwhile, it's all going even better for the SNP because uh, down in Westminster, uh, Jackie Bailey, a uh, Labour MSP, tweets out, uh, Nicola Sturgeon said she had zero tolerance for inappropriate sexual behaviour, but Ian Blackford and cheers him on, such hypocrisy for the SNP. Ian Blackford needs to stand aside and Patrick Grady needs to resign his seat. This is referring to a secret recording made by someone in the SNP group um, of how Ian Blackford is directing the group to support the uh, party's sex pest MP, Patrick Grady, who was... Um, uh, he was um, touching and feeling up a young SNP staffer, a 19-year-old young man, uh, in a pub. Uh, Grady was the worst for alcohol, and uh, the young man was extremely uncomfortable and complained about the experience. The, the result has been that Grady was suspended for two days, and now he's going to be welcomed back with the full support of the SNP group. Um, the young man seems to have been shunned and put on nothing jobs and doesn't seem to have any support or a career left in the SNP group. So that's what happens if you're a victim of sexual abuse uh, by a well-connected predator under uh, the SNP government. I suspect it wouldn't have quite worked that way if it had been a woman. I suspect because Patrick Grady is gay, he's getting a certain amount of leeway that wouldn't be granted in other circumstances. And uh, the general support for um, uh, you know, sexual predators of this type um, by the by the SNP is just another aspect of um, concern about how they are conducting themselves. Um, it, it's been greeted very badly. You see here, even the Nationals having to report as Nationals the SNP's tame newspaper. They're having to support that uh, Ian Blackford is facing calls to resign after his full support. 
um, for Patrick Grady. Blackford said he's going to face a number of challenges over the short term, so he should have our absolute full support. I, for one, very, very much look forward to welcoming Patrick back into the group next week. I'm sure everyone will agree. I don't know if everyone agreed, but some of them uh, decided it was appropriate to uh, applaud. Now, just to show that there are some people speaking out for truth in Scotland, we have uh, a clip here from John William Noble speaking at the Health and Truth Conference uh, last week that I was uh, happy to attend. And uh, we'll have a little more of John in uh, extra time. But this one speaking about uh, the nature of the Scottish state and the threat it poses to Scots and their families. Now, does this mean that I'm saying everything that we hear and see in the media is a lie? I would say no. Certain things, I'm sure, are maybe entirely true, or at least certain parts could be true. But then what do we see of the enemy in Scripture? Well, he is the master deceiver, and we see that he communicates often in half-truths. And this is very much what we are seeing as a means of infiltrating our media. We're not getting a message that ultimately makes us feel as though we're rubbish all the time. Often it's cloaked in such positive language. Black lives matter. Love is love. Protect the NHS. Stay safe. We're all in this together. These sound like some really good, encouraging slogans, things that by and large you might agree with to some extent. But have we, especially as Christians, as the church, been engaging with what is driving these messages? Are we looking at this with a critical lens or are we simply listening to anything that's communicated and willingly taking it on board? And the answer is by and large within the church, yes, because the church now is in a position where so much of our media and so much of the worldly and godless thinking shapes the way we live as Christians. Where now we're having to revolve the Bible around what the latest science is. And where we're now seeing that messages of equality for men and women and all of these things are just platforms for narratives that contradict God's design and purpose. And where we have very clearly seen that in Christian context of family, we've handed our children over to the state, straight into the arms of Satan. And if you think that's overstating it, I would just point out that this week, a Scottish schoolgirl aged 11 um, was uh, attacked in the toilets of the school immediately following a sex education uh, lesson um, in, in the school attacked by two other pupils and suffered a sexual assault and that has not been handled particularly well by the state either. Yeah, well, it's it's becoming too obvious, David, uh, what's actually happening here. Uh, community, families, morality is under huge attack because, of course, if this can be broken down, it leaves the individual defenceless. Um, but uh, we're moving on to stronger stuff and uh, it's back to you, Katie. Some of these images may be 
uh, troublesome to some of our viewers. It's your discretion, but ultimately this is the reality of what's being presented to our children. Katie. It is, and I'm actually not showing the worst of the videos because it's too terrible. Um, it, yeah, it's Pride Month and um, it's supposed to be a celebration of equality, isn't it? You know, and, and, and fun and, uh, you know, these marches are supposed to be about dancing and freedom. But this celebration is becoming something else. It's, uh, it's not about equality and acceptance anymore. It's not. It's, uh, they're encouraging children to attend these Pride events. And it's so very wrong. Um, as you can see from that photo there, there's that little girl who's, um, bless her heart, she's, you can almost see the expression on her face is like a little bit confused. Um, and then you can see these, uh, these men in BDSM outfits with these puppy hats on, it's a, that's a craze. Um, it's completely wrong that any children should be exposed to this. Um, you know, through a screen, but even in the flesh, it's just horrendous. Um, and we have a video uh, from Frontlines um, of the Pride March in, uh, in LA. Um, as you can see there, they're um, flogging each other. Um, they're dressed with hardly anything on. Um, and there's a video that we're not showing, um, another one of this march, where there's a, a, a little boy who's who's turning away, he's, he's in the crowd and he's turning away. He doesn't want to, he clearly feels incredibly uncomfortable. And his parent, his mother is turning him back and making him watch the Pride March. And I just don't understand where these parents are coming from. I don't understand why they're taking their children to this event. What is it doing for their children? It's not, it's not, um, it's not gonna be doing anything for them apart from exposing them to something that clearly shouldn't be in their, it shouldn't be in their minds at all. Um, and we have the, um, the concert. So we had a, a Pride concert where Christina Aguilera was the headliner. And it's a concert, as you can see there, for all ages. Um, it's because it says there, attendees over five require a ticket. She wore some outrageous costumes, which is not unusual for her. But one costume in particular was absolutely disgusting. She, wore, she was dressed as this Hulk character with this sparkly green strap on around her waist. And the video footage is way too explicit for me to show you. Um, there may be children watching this and I obviously don't think the viewers would appreciate uh, seeing exactly what she was doing with that. Um, but there were children at this show. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't understand how we've got to this place, that we are allowing this to happen. And what's even worse is that we're not even talking about the people that have gone through this gender reassignment. So we're encouraging these children to go through this, transitioning to, to, to embrace this new person that they are and go through this surgery. And we're not hearing those voices of those people that actually are deeply regretting the surgery if they actually go through it. Um, it's completely ruining their lives. And on the next slide, couple of slides, you can see from this one person how they talk about, it's quite graphic, so I won't read it, but you can pause it and see exactly what happens when you go through this surgical procedure and how it's completely irreversible and you're not actually told what can happen and what the awful, awful side effects of, of, of that surgery can be and what you are left with. 
for the rest of your life. It's, it's absolutely horrific. And an article in the Daily, My, uh, Daily Mail last month um, from a top psychologist who, who has been a top psychologist for 16 years in children's mental health says that over half her patients now identify as transgender. And that is just so upsetting. Um, and the question is, how do we stop this grooming of our children when our governments are supporting it, when our schools are supporting it, when our, our libraries are allowing, you know, drag queens and transvestites to come in and read stories to our children? When we have the family sex show, how are we going to stop this? We are really going to have to speak out. Um, and I just thought we should finish on this video from Nancy Pelosi. Um, the Speaker of the House on drag uh, on RuPaul's drag drag show, um, because freedom of expression and drag is apparently what America is all about. Please give a warm drag race welcome to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> welcome back. My honor to be here to say to all of you how proud we all are of you. Thank you for the joy and beauty you bring to the world. Aww. Your freedom of expression of yourselves in drag is what America is all about. I say that all the time to my friends in drag. <laughs> now, Speaker Pelosi, with all the challenges facing our nation, what words of wisdom do you have for us? Well, the single most important thing I can say is to vote. With the midterm elections coming up, it's very important for people to make their voices and their vote heard. Well, thank you so much for the work you've done and the work you continue to do tirelessly for our freedom. Your tenacity is something that we all look up to. We throw the word master class around here all the time, but that sarcastic, shady clap you do was epic. It was completely unintentional. <laughs> we have prayers in our hearts to keep you strong. Well, thank you for that. May God bless America. Can I get a, an amen? Amen! <laughs> thank you, Madam Speaker! <laughs> Well, Katie, that's, uh, I think the only thing we can, can say is that's pretty unpleasant stuff. But isn't it interesting because that does reflect on the state of U.S. society at the moment. And interestingly, it's yeah. taken Putin to actually talk about the moral decline of the U.S. So breakdown. But to answer your question, uh, what do we do about this? The key thing is to expose it because many people only get glimpses of it. We have to show how pervasive it is. We have to show how wrong it is. And we also have to identify the people and the organizations that are propagating it. It's lifting the stone to show it for what it is. We've only got a few minutes uh, uh, left, Katie Joe, if you want to respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's it. All of these things that are incredibly uncomfortable, um, the paedophilia, all of this. It, we have to expose it. You're absolutely right. We cannot ignore it. Um, and as painful as it is to watch it, to look at it, to see it, if we don't, then they will carry on doing it. So it's, you're absolutely right. That's the only way we can do it is show them for what they are.
And just to end on a positive note, uh, we, we will be giving more information on this very shortly. There was a wonderful group of ladies in South Wales that have been taking on the Welsh government and its sexual education policy in the Welsh schools. And they've been pushing very hard for a, a judicial review, which has now achieved uh, some success. So we'll report on that because I think it's very important to show what people are doing. Thank you, Katie Joe. We need to end there. So we're going to say thank you very much to all our viewers and listeners for joining us. We clearly live in very uh, dangerous times, uh, but the key thing is to get the truth out and to get the facts. Let, let's just do, uh, just before we go, we should do one you, one final uh, final slide. One, <laughs> one final image. Yeah, David. Yes, I like this one. This is a, a Hans Hermann Hopper quote. Democracy virtually assures that only bad and dangerous men, and I'd add to that, or women, will ever rise to the top of government. Uh, that's where we're at, and um, we're feeling it. Yes. Yeah, we're feeling it. So don't, uh, don't feel down. The aim is to know what's happening and to take some steps to stop it. And that's why we're always saying, don't let your MP get away with it. Contact them, email them, send them a letter, visit them always polite, always measured. But of course, the most powerful word still in our vocabulary is no. We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.